Welcome to another episode of the Emergency Docs. As a general disclaimer, please keep in mind this podcast does not constitute medical advice, but is purely for the purposes of education. I'm Dr. Y. And I'm Dr. R. Happy 4th of July. I love the 4th of July. It just reminds me of summer, barbecue, being outside, and of course, fireworks. Fireworks are pretty awesome, but as you know, uh, we are ER docs and we're going to have some sort of safety talk. Of course. Fireworks, firecrackers, fireflowers, rockets, sparklers, Roman candles, or whatever you call them, are beautiful reminders of our country's fight for independence. But they also can be quite dangerous and even deadly. I know everyone probably has some horror story of fireworks gone wrong. Dr. Y, what's yours? Yeah, I definitely do. So actually, it was my very first shift of residency and my very first patient. So I walk into my first shift. It's the night of July 4th, and my shift starts at 9 p.m. I hear overhead, four critical traumas, ETA, 10 minutes. Everyone starts moving around me. And one of my attendings, who doesn't even know my name, grabs me and says, okay, you're up. I go to one of the trauma bays and I'm told to stand at the head of the bed, put on a face shield, put a gown on and get the airway kit ready just in case. I didn't even know what an airway kit was at the time, but someone pointed <laughs> in the right direction and I got it set up. So fortunately I didn't need it, but I was really nervous because I had never intubated a patient. Anyway, so in rolls a 20 year old male uh, his right hand is wrapped in a thick blood-soaked gauze. He's got a tourniquet on his forearm. He's screaming in pain. I just remember standing there having zero clue what I was supposed to do. My attending looked at me and was like, do you want to give this guy some pain meds or do you think he will just get better on its own? I said, yeah, uh, of course, yeah, sorry. Uh, we should give him something. He asked what I wanted to give and I said, maybe morphine? He said, how much? I said, I have no idea the dose but whatever you would give to someone who was 20 years old and lost his hand. He laughed and we reminisced about that day all the time through residency. Anyway, the guy had his entire right hand completely blown off by a firework he was trying to throw. Turns out being a young male, being drunk, and handling explosive devices is not that safe. Who knew? Anyway, it was quite graphic and I will spare the details, but safe to say the firefighter brought in a bucket with stuff in it and that stuff might possibly have been reattached. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Yeah, I remember a few of those limb in a bucket or limb in a bag stories through residency. So yeah, what's your what's your story? Um, well, growing up, my mom always made us wear safety goggles whenever we were lighting anything, which we thought was super annoying and dorky. And I think I probably have my mom to thank for me and my siblings still having two eyeballs each. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> There was a neighbor who didn't wear his safety goggles and basically lost his eye to a firecracker gone rogue. It's super scary to think that could have been any one of us. Yeah, I'll actually have a little bit of story on a neighbor losing an eyeball, but we'll get to that in a bit. It turns out explosives and eyeballs don't really go together well. <laughs> go figure. So anyway, firework safety is no joke. So today we're going to talk about burn injuries. I think this is one of the most common things we see in the summer around July 4th, along with lacerations from all those watermelon slicing injuries. <laughs> Absolutely. It's always a watermelon, avocado, or a mandolin. But those stories yeah. are for another time. So there are approximately 2 million people in the United States each year who have burns that are bad enough that they seek care from a physician. There are many more burns that go uncounted because the person never seeks the care of a doctor or it just isn't bad enough to see a doctor. For example, when I burn myself on a cookie sheet because I can't possibly wait any longer to eat a cookie, I don't go to the doctor. <laughs> I run my injury under cold water and wait for it to heal and try to tell myself to wait longer next time for the cookie. <laughs> yeah, 
That adds up to a lot of burns. Approximately 70,000 of those burns then require hospitalization. Deaths from burns decreased by half between 1979 and 1990, which is great and has been attributed to smoke detectors and early warnings in many cases. It has been estimated that over 90% of burn injuries are preventable. That's crazy. 90% of injuries could be prevented? Well, we'll do our best to educate as much as possible to prevent some of these burn injuries this coming July 4th. So there are many different types of burns, including chemical burns caused by various acidic or basic chemicals, scald burns, which usually result from hot water or liquid, flame burns, which result from house fires, open flames, cigarettes, stoves, and space heaters, to name a few. Scalds and flames are the most common types of burns in the United States. Flash burns are usually from explosions of some sort of gas, propane, or other flammable liquid that causes intense heat over a brief period of time. And contact burns usually result from hot metal, plastic, glass, or coals. My cookie sheet is one example of a contact burn. Electrical burns are high-intensity thermal burns, which occur as electricity contacts body tissues and then converts the electricity into heat, which causes the burn. Phew, that is a lot of different types of burns. So when a patient comes into the emergency department, we're assessing a few things like what caused the burn, the size of the burn, and the depth of the burn. The cause of the burn is important because it gives us an idea of what kind of injury to expect. If the injury will evolve and get bigger or deeper, or if there could be blast injuries, airway injuries, or internal injuries. The bigger the body area that is burned, the more likely the patient is to require a burn specialist, hospitalization, and critical care. Finally, the depth of the burn is important. You have probably heard of first, second, third degree burns, which refers primarily to the depth of the burn through the skin and tissue. This terminology has fallen out of favor somewhat, and now burns are referred to as first degree, superficial partial thickness, deep partial thickness, full thickness, and fourth degree burns. First degree burns only affect the epidermis or the very top layer of skin. Believe it or not, skin has lots of layers. These types of burns don't blister, but do cause some redness and pain on the skin. These usually heal on their own over a couple of days, maybe two or three days. There may be some peeling after a few days as the skin heals. Now the next deepest burn is the superficial partial thickness burn. These burns affect the next layer below the epidermis called the dermis. The superficial partial thickness burn will involve the upper layers of the dermis. These burns do form blisters and the fluid collects between the epidermis and the dermis. The blisters usually form within a few hours to days after the injury. These also usually heal within a few weeks. Next up is the deep partial thickness burn. These burns also blister, but usually have a mottled pink or even white color, which you can see right after the burn occurs. The dermis layer usually looks pink and can be a bit drier in appearance than a superficial partial thickness burn. The wound itself is usually a bit less sensitive and less painful than a first degree and superficial partial thickness burn. This is something that demarcates more severe burn injuries. They're associated with less pain to touch at the actual burn site. These usually heal in three weeks to three months and will have some scarring. If these occur over a joint like a finger or an ankle, the scarring can impede movement after the wound heals. Full thickness burns are exactly what their name suggests. They involve the epidermis and all layers of the dermis. These are often described as leathery, white, firm, or can even be sunken or depressed when compared to the surrounding normal skin. Skin grafting is usually required for these to heal properly. There will be significant scarring, wound contracture, and likely deep partial thickness burns. 
The scarring can impair joint mobility even. These can be difficult to distinguish from deep partial thickness burns as the difference in depth can only be one millimeter. You definitely need to have burn surgeons and burn experts involved for these types of injuries. Finally, we have the fourth degree burn. These involve the epidermis, all the layers of the dermis, and can also involve the subcutaneous fat, meaning the fat underneath the skin, muscle, or even bone. It goes without saying these are really, really bad and require critical care. So what should we do about treating these types of injuries? So what you do on scene can make a big difference. You want to remove the person from the dangerous area as quickly as possible to enable treatment. It is important to get the victim away from the source of heat or flame. However, as a rescuer without proper equipment, we do not recommend running into any burning buildings. It is more likely that you, without the respirators firefighters have, would be incapacitated by the toxic fumes in a fire and could potentially injure yourself or others in trying to complete the rescue. Yep, that's a key point. Do what you can to assist on scene, but do not become an additional victim. In the case of fireworks, they usually burn out pretty quickly, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to remove the victim from the area with the possibly active firecracker or to douse the firecracker with some water to prevent any additional burning or injury. If the clothing is burning, do not allow the victim to run away. If the person stands or runs, it is more likely the flames and smoke will travel upward toward the face. If there is water available, use water to put out the flames. You could also have them lay down on the ground and roll back and forth to quench the flames. Another method is to cover the individual with a blanket or coat. Some fabrics may continue to smolder and synthetic fabrics can melt to the victim, continuing to burn them. In the case of a scald or grease burn, you want to make sure to remove the patient's clothing as quickly as possible. Because burns that occur over clothes can often be worse than just bare skin because the clothes continue to burn and hold the heat against the skin. It's a good idea to remove any contaminated clothing unless it's burned to the victim, in which case best to leave it alone. Any constricting clothing or jewelry should also be removed because severe burn injuries cause swelling. So any restrictive jewelry like rings in particular can lead to decreased blood flow and then cause further damage. In the case of eye injury, you do not want to touch the eye or press on the eye. Do not try to remove any foreign bodies or shrapnel. In this case, you just want to protect what is left of the eye and get to the emergency department as quick as possible. Yeah, eye injuries are not only extremely common on the 4th of July, but can be quite devastating. Burn to the forearm might cause some pain and scarring, but a burn or foreign body to the eye can lead to permanent blindness. I had this terrible case last year of this guy who was just outside with his kid watching people light fireworks. All of a sudden, he felt a sharp zap in his right eye. He looked down and I'll never forget how he described it. He said, my eye just kind of fell out. He wow. came to the ED as a walk-in trauma. The chief complaint just said, eye pain. I signed up for him, started to look at his chart kind of casually. And the nurse came back and was like, uh, I need you to go to room two now. I ran over to see the patient with quote, eye pain. And his right eye was completely destroyed. A metallic fragment had shot into his right eye and he had vitreous fluid gooping out onto his face. Oh my gosh. Yeah. From an ED perspective, there was not a whole lot to do. I got some imaging to make sure we weren't missing anything, gave the patient some pain medications, antibiotics, the all important tetanus vaccination, and had ophthalmology um, come see him. And within two hours, he was actually in the operating room. Unfortunately, he uh, ended up losing his eye. Uh, just a terrible case. Anyway, this is all to highlight the point that even observing fireworks can be dangerous. I don't necessarily have a way to prevent this other than maybe watch from inside your home 
or wear goggles to protect your eyes if you are outside. Fireworks are just so, so dangerous. And while I get that they are fun, I just really don't think it is worth the risk. I may be biased here, though, given all the terrible stuff I've seen. So anyway, sorry for the distraction. So what should people do with minor burns? So if the burns are not so bad that you need to go to the hospital, you can treat a first degree or superficial burn by running the injury under cool or cold water. This is controversial because research doesn't actually support that cold water alters the course of injury or healing but it does help with the pain. Cold or cool water is generally preferred to ice or an ice pack because ice can cause cold injuries to already injured skin. The skin protects the organs inside the body and is largely responsible for preventing each and every one of us from dehydrating and becoming a raisin. It is important to cover most of these wounds to prevent dehydration when the burns cover a large amount of body surface. Usually the burn surgeons will perform some form of debridement or cleaning of the wound, then apply an antibacterial ointment and cover the wounds with loose-fitting gauze or some kind of dressing, depending on the type of burn injury. Fluid resuscitation with intravenous or IV fluids is also really important for a lot of these critical burn patients. Okay, so we know that was a lot of information in a short period of time. The take-home message is to prevent burns before they happen. Use good firework protection protocols, like goggles. Only adults should be lighting and using fireworks, preferably with a long lighter rather than a match. My mom was bright. I will admit this. Using safety goggles is important. They protect your eyes, which are critical to maintaining your lifestyle. Yeah, I think eyes are pretty important, actually. (laughs) I'm glad Um, we agree on that. Yeah. It is really important to keep anyone who is not lighting the firework at a safe distance, which is dependent upon which type of firework you have. If you have a sparkler, obviously you're going to be holding it. But if it's a projectile firework or rocket everyone should be safely distanced. Even with taking all the precautions, fireworks are not always built reliably. They can malfunction, shoot off in random directions, and light unintended fires. Always have a method to extinguish fires nearby. Totally. I remember that at a 4th of July celebration when I was little, one firework went in the wrong direction and hit a little girl who was also at the party. I don't remember much else, but that she started crying. Fireworks were definitely over for that evening. Yeah, like you said before, 90% of burns are preventable. Use appropriate precautions and stay safe over this holiday weekend. As much as we love seeing patients, we would much rather have you safe and healthy while celebrating at your socially distanced gatherings, of course. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening as always. Please subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or our website at theemergencydocs.com. See you next time.